the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and with me in studio is my wife, Alexandra Greenley. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. Lord Jesus, as we come to this broadcast, I ask that every person would experience the conviction of your presence and the forgiveness of your of their sin. I pray that they will receive your love and mercy and compassion. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. You have been so kind and so merciful. Lord, thank you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We come today with the joy of the Lord in our hearts, rejoicing in what he's done over the last week, some of it very exciting. The month of March for radio is covered. We're rejoicing in that. Thank you for each of you. Thank you. Many of you stepped forward and sacrificially gave, and the goal was met almost $4,000. We rejoice in the deliverance that he brought to us personally. Our rent is paid. Expenses are covered. We rejoice in what he has done as we have shared the gospel with people. But also a very painful thing has happened. We're not discouraged by it. We're not turned aside by it. But we want to tell you briefly because it really costs to follow Jesus. This is not something we do casually. This past Thursday, I received a a call asking me to please come in and speak with Pastor Dan at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge. As you know, we've been holding every Monday night Revival Now meetings. The last Revival Now meeting that we had, I spoke on the question of the gospel versus Gnosticism. In that message, I was very clear that you cannot be clean before God and continue to walk in disobedience to him. In no way did I suggest that any person, after coming to Jesus and being washed of their sins, did not have the possibility of once more falling in sin. For temptation is always a part of our lives. The devil is active. He is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Some of the people, one of the people who was there at that meeting became very upset by what was said because in the Anglican Church they have a confession of sin every Sunday and the priest gives an absolution to their sin every week. And she said, if we don't continue to sin, why do we have to have our sins absolved every week? And she was also, I spoke with this individual after the 
message was given and I was sharing with her my own personal testimony of how I was first converted and then later, about a a year later, um, I really had this revelation that Jesus had made my soul holy and I shared how I saw myself standing before the throne of God, before the holiness of God and that I was, as the scripture says, without spot and without blemish and that I was blameless and I saw that that was a present experience and that that was something that Jesus did in me by faith and so I shared with her that you know I was free from sin that I did not sin and that that was a gift of faith from Jesus Christ but you did not suggest in any way that you could not sin in fact first John is very clear let me read it to you. First uh, John, the first chapter, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, what does it mean to purify us from all unrighteousness but to purify us from sin? And then in chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says... I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. That is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. Well, it's very clear that First John teaches in that first and second chapter that we are not to walk in sin but what happened is as I went in and spoke with Pastor Dan he said I have some very hard news for you Ray I said okay he said I had a meeting with my bishop and someone went to him and complained about the National Prayer Chapel, about the preaching, and about the Monday night meetings. And so he went on the webpage and listened and heard you say that we should not continue to walk in sin. He said that does not agree with Anglican theology. Therefore, we are... Pastor Dan was ordered to terminate our rental agreement with the All Saints Anglican Church to cancel our Tuesday night meetings and our Monday night meetings. And our Sunday meetings. And our Sunday meetings. So on Easter Sunday, we held the last worship service of the National Prayer Chapel at the All Saints Anglican Church. Now, just very quickly, we dearly love the pastor and the people at the All Saints Church. We have no animosity toward them. We have no no feelings of upset with them. 
except we're sorrowful to lose those friendships and we're sorrowful to be so rudely cut off and so rudely cast out. I laughingly told Alexandra, I feel rather honored to be thrown out of the Anglican Church because I'm following in very good footsteps. John Wesley was also cast out of the Anglican Church. So if he could be cast out for his preaching of the same message, for we're only preaching the same message John Wesley taught, that love is the full perfection and the full observance of the law. That is love. And of course the call to holiness, to not be a part of the world. But the bishop believes that it is impossible for any person to stop sinning and that we'll continue sinning until the day we die. And when we die, then we're finally made righteous. So, literally, for him, death is his savior. Now, we hold no um, animosity toward the bishop. I know him. He's an honorable man. He's a good man. But he is utterly mistaken. As I read carefully through their Anglican catechism, it's a bit double-minded, but it's very clear that when a person comes to Jesus, they are washed and cleansed and should be a new person and should no longer walk in sin. But to take that the next step and say, okay, I have experienced what is directed here. I have left my sin. I am now walking clean before Jesus. And Alexandra and I both would tell you that is our present experience. So we love them. We're sorrowful that we can no longer meet there and that we've lost a wonderful opportunity of fellowship with another church. But we're not discouraged. We have simply completely refocused. We had already begun this focus much earlier, but now we are in the absolute clear stand the gift of salvation is a free gift from Jesus because of his love and compassion for us. He died to destroy the works of the devil. He died on that cross to set us free from sin. Alexander and I have spoken in the last days over and over. We are absolutely astonished that any person, any Christian, let alone any bishop or pastor, would argue that we must continue to walk in bondage in Satan. To us, that's a, a casting down of the blood of Jesus. Now, they believe that when you come to Jesus, you're born again, and then how do you deal with your sin? Well, gradually until you die. But that's not the teaching of Scripture. That's not even the teaching of the Anglican uh, Catechism. When we come to Jesus, we are made new according to Scripture. 
we are no longer walking in wickedness. I'll read a scripture for you quickly. You've heard me read it before, but let me just read it for you. It's found in 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John, the third chapter. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you are pure as Jesus is pure, you will not walk in sin. And then chapter 3, the fourth verse, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness or rebellion. But you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. I think that would include an Anglican bishop. Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he was born of God. It's very clear, isn't it? that if a person who calls himself a Christian is continuing to walk in sin and rebellion against the Lord, he is not saved from his sin. He is in bondage to that sin. I said to one young man, you used to go to the clubs, you used to go to the hookah bar, you used to go to the strip clubs. Did anyone force you to do that? No! It was my choice. Sin is always a choice. It's not something that we do involuntarily. Sin is, by definition, rebellion, lawlessness. It is choosing to go against God. Now, one dear listener from Connecticut, he asked the question, Do you believe that once you have received Jesus and he has cleansed you and made you whole do you believe you can never return to sin I said absolutely not a person can tear down what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart and you can return to sin and first John tells us that then there is Jesus as the intercessor who will forgive us our sins 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let's be clear, the ability to sin is in no way permission to sin. So God expects you to never sin again. He says, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. As you read through the epistles of the New Testament, you'll hear Peter and you'll hear Paul saying things like, All of the lusts of the flesh we committed in the past should suffice. Now we are a new person in Jesus, and we should never walk in that way again. So all that Pastor Ray is trying to say is we're not saying that you don't have a free will. You do have a free will. But as we shared this past week, if your heart is truly set, On loving God, which is the first commandment, if you truly love God with your whole heart, then you will hate sin and you will flee from it. You will not want to sin. And so it should be normal for you to walk in obedience to God. And what flows out of that is love. Yes. Well, it's as you read through a lot of the old timers, you see this too. So. One thing the bishop said was, oh, they're teaching perfectionism. So perfectionism is sort of like the slur form of the actual theological term is Christian perfection. So you'll see this term used by John Wesley. Uh, I think Charles Finney used it. Asa Mahan used it. Samuel Brangle of the Salvation Army used this term Christian perfection. And what that means is the love of God is generated in our hearts and fills our hearts. And so, whereas the scripture says we're made perfect in love, and the result of that love is obedience to God. So that's what we're teaching is, it is reasonable to expect that you will never sin again, and it should be your intention to never sin again. Now, this may sound strange to some of you who perhaps are listening for the first time, but we come out of a very rich history. John Bunyan taught that when a man came to Jesus, he should not go back and sin again. John Wesley, George Whitfield, and many others, Samuel Bringle from the Salvation Army. The whole Pentecostal movement in America was started on the premise that when you receive Jesus, you no longer go back and walk in any known sin or rebellion against God. That if you want the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you must be purified by the blood of Jesus, not through hard work, not by works, but by faith in the blood of Jesus. This is a supernatural work that God does in us and for us out of his great love and mercy. Tell me, What would you think of a husband who allowed his wife to be constantly raped, who did not protect her from the enemy? Well, what would you think of a Jesus who allowed his people to be raped by the devil? Impossible. He will not do that. He protects his people from the devil. The question is, have we made that ultimate decision to be utterly consecrated to God. Now let's talk just for a minute about where the National Prayer Chapel is going and the new absolute direction that we are taking. 
we have been, frankly, <clears throat> pardon me, we have been annihilated. We have been destroyed in the flesh. But we're standing by faith because we know there is only one answer. And that answer is to walk in love and peace with all men, to walk in Jesus Christ by faith without sin, and to go to the upper room. That's where the disciples went. They went to the upper room and they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for revival. And so together, Alexandra and I have prayed and we have consecrated a place as an upper room. It's not going to be a place where Sunday by Sunday I preach trying to turn people from their sin. The upper room is for those people who are utterly sold out to Jesus, who desire above all things the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you'd like to talk about that with me or with Alexandra, I'm going to give you a phone number. You are welcome to call and talk with us. If your heart cry is for revival and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now some of you think, oh, I already was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes, all Christians were baptized in the Holy Spirit when they were converted, when they were born from above. That's for the intense desire for Jesus. That's for walking clean before him. That's not the baptism we're speaking of. We're speaking of Pentecost baptism, which is power for the salvation of the lost. If ever there was a need in America, it is now for the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to convert the wicked, to turn the hearts of men and women to the love of Jesus, where they will fall before him in utter repentance under conviction. It is this power that we are asking the Holy Spirit to come and provide. If you're interested in that, call me, 703-489-1785. That number again, 703-489-1785. Don't call me during the broadcast because I can't answer. This is my personal cell phone. If you would like to talk with me about this, and your heart cry is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're willing to pay the price, there's a price, isn't there, Alexandra? I mean, the price is our life. If you're going to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to have given your life to the work of saving the lost. That doesn't mean you're not a doctor or an office worker or a government worker. You don't have to be a pastor. But your primary focus is the salvation of the lost, and you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do that. So again, it's 703-489-1785. Now please, would you pray for us? Would you cry out for us? The National Prayer Chapel is not finished. We know we were called as a prayer chapel. 
we know we were called for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for revival. We are going to stand in that though the heavens fall. It's just a very painful, difficult time right now. But that does not take from us the joy and the peace of walking in Jesus. And our eyes are on him and we have absolute confidence that he will carry us through. Now we've shared this with you because we want you to know what's happening with us. We want it to be a testimony for you that it's very expensive to follow Jesus. You are persecuted by other churches, perhaps by family members, by friends. People get angry with you. But we don't return anger for anger. We have not in any manner shown any upset or anger with the All Saints Anglican Church or with the bishop. We love them dearly, and we are praying for them, for we want revival to come to the All Saints Church. We want revival to come to this precious man who is the bishop, who is the ultimate authority over the All Saints Church. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to us. We're going to turn now to the story of revival in the Congo in 1950. Now, I want you to notice, and you're going to hear it over and over and over, that when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, there is a terrible shaking until people are willing to confess their sins and get right with Jesus. If you don't walk clean with Jesus, you are in trouble with Jesus. As one man said to me this past Saturday, God is far from me. I can't seem to find him. Well, the only reason God is far from him is that he is far from God. And the only way to get close is to repent and to turn from sin. So, Alexandra, would you start us with this story? Yes. So this comes from a book called The Spirit of Revival, a first-hand account of the Congo Revival of the 1950s. And you can read this actually online on the website gospeltruth.net. So the story that we're going to share today happened in Opiange, which is in the north part of Congo. So... The writer is describing the early beginnings of revival in Opiange, and they didn't initially realize that these were early signs of revival. So this is one of the signs. He says, Nothing else happened until Tuesday night when Paleza, the wife of the Opiange chief elder, woke up other people with her loud singing and praises. They flocked to her house and saw her on the bed in an upright position, shaking violently and saying, Thanks, 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 Lord Jesus, over and over again. They thought she had gone mad. As she got quieter, they went back to their houses, but at 4 a.m. she again woke them up singing, There is light in my heart. She told them she had seen a light come closer and closer to her, 
until it eventually burst upon her and filled her heart. People were amazed. Some laughed and said, she has gone off the top. But others rebuked them, saying it was better to wait and see if it was the Lord's doing. It was then she got a vision from the Lord. She saw a great light, and a voice said to her, Paleza, I want to do a great work here at Opiange, but there is much hardness. If you want to light a good fire, do you get one by laying the wood among the ashes? No, she answered. Then the voice asked, What must be done then? Clean away the ashes first. That's right, the voice said. I want a clean place for my fire. The following Sunday, the spirit again came upon Paleza in the service, and although she was asked to be still, the shakings were beyond her control. As I said, we were out on trek when a letter reached us telling us of these happenings. After I had read it, I got a vision from the Lord of what was going to happen. I saw the meetings with the people shouting, shaking, and making confession, all the manifestations which we have now seen. The vision shook me, and I got a fear of the whole thing. My own inability brought a fear, as I knew the people would crowd to me for help, and a great longing came to run away from it all. But I prayed to the Lord to help me, and I came through willing to be used. It is one thing to pray for revival, quite another to be willing for it. Before returning to the station, I had another vision. A hard rock was standing up before me. I saw blood running over the face of it, and while I watched, the blood congealed. I wondered at the vision, but did not understand it. When I got back to the station, the thought came to me strongly to look up the meaning of the word congeal, and I found congealed is the state some liquids become when poured over a cold surface. Then I understood. It was the same message as Palaza had had. Palaza came to tell me of her experience and of the rumors that were being spread about her. The week passed off quietly until Thursday, which was our monthly day of prayer. Palaza then came asking that the men and women divide into separate meetings, as she wished to testify to the women alone. The meeting with the women, at which some began to confess sins, went on till mid-morning. At the second meeting with the men, after I had urged them to be open to the Spirit, we turned to prayer. We had hardly started when we noticed a different note in the prayer of the evangelist who had struck his wife, a great pleading note, an earnestness which tended to be extreme. He seemed very agitated and was soon crying, tears flowing freely. He ended by falling down on the seat. There was a silence for a few moments. Then the chief elder, a very tall man, shot up to his full height, his hands stretched out, shaking and shouting at the top of his voice, Thanks! Thanks, Lord Jesus! In no time, the whole place was, if, was as if charged with an electric current. Men were falling, jumping, laughing, crying, singing, confessing, and some shaking terribly. It was a terrible sight. One man came upon his hands and knees from the back of the room right up to the front. A young man had a mighty filling of the Holy Spirit. His shakings and jumpings were awful to behold. Then he turned to praise and came out to a large place, praise ascending to the throne, such as I had never heard before from an African. He had nothing to confess, as he was already in a healthy place with the Lord. 
During this time, the women had come out of their meeting and had gathered around the windows to see the wonderful spectacle of their men being so possessed. Then instead of going back to their homes to prepare food, they turned and went back to their meeting place. Hardly had they got there when the spirit came down upon them and the same manifestations were seen among them. Even when both meetings had finished, people were falling down praising the Lord or confessing their sins on the paths or in the village. The afternoon meeting was united, and what a meeting! I had been reading Rent Heavens by R. B. Jones on the Welsh Revival, and in it he mentioned that the evangelist could hardly make his voice heard above the din of the worshipping saints. How true that has been of the meetings we have seen out here. This particular one can best be described as a spiritual tornado. People were literally flung to the floor or over the forms, yet no one was hurt. It was here I was first led to challenge an excess of emotionalism, for one or two women who were flung to the floor did not take heed of their clothes, so I rebuked them and later spoke of the Holy Spirit being a holy spirit in the true sense of the word. The people responded well. Time after time they were willing to be taught and accepted almost without question any exhortation backed by the word. The girls from the school were present, and the Lord began a mighty work among them. The schoolboys, except for two or three, were not touched. That evening we missionaries got together for prayer. None of us had ever seen anything like this before. I had been in many wonderful prayer meetings at the Bible College of Wales, Swansea, with Reese Howells, when the Spirit had come down upon us in power, but nothing like this. So I asked the Lord to give us the spirit of discernment, and I believe he did. I praise the Lord also for the unity he gave, for many questions came up such as, Is this of the Lord or not? But as we went on together, holding on to the Lord, he gave us all the assurance that this is that of Acts 2.16. The next day, Friday, was a day of humbling to us missionaries. We had to hear confession after confession of the things the people had held against us as they came to ask for forgiveness for murmuring and grumbling against us. It was then that I was first led to test the spirit and prove the blessing. I must confess that even up to that time, there were still questions in my heart. So I challenged those who had confessed to stealing to make restitution. And I praised the Lord that there was a ready response. During the next week, I put the following tests. 1. Is there a love for the truth, and are you sensitive to it? 2. What is your attitude to a lie? Is it hateful to you? 3. Are you willing, as far as possible, to put a wrong right by making restitution or asking forgiveness of the person wronged? 4. Are you willing to make a public confession of the Lord Jesus? 5. Does the praise go to the Lord? Amen. These tests have been fully met over and over again. People have gone long distances to clear up misunderstandings. They have cried as if breaking their hearts because they had misrepresented something and pleaded for forgiveness. When challenged to make restitution, some have dashed off to fetch money to pay back a bad debt. Our house worker was a case in point. When the spirit came upon him, he got up and made a full confession of all the things he had stolen from us 
and brought back money to pay for them. He had also stolen kerosene from a traitor, but was afraid to repay for fear of prison. But when challenged by the spirit through a message on Zacchaeus, he went and made it right. The same traitor has been amazed at the number of people who have come to confess stealing. As for testimony and praise, there has not been time enough for all who wanted to testify, and there has never been such praise to the Lord in these parts. Mr. Reese Howells used to speak of savage joy, and it has been true in some of our meetings. I hardly thought that Kingwana lent itself to the expression of such praise, but the Holy Spirit causes these souls to praise the Lord Jesus from hearts full of joy, a beautiful thing to behold. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise has been fulfilled here. The following Saturday, the people from the villages began to arrive for the week of special meetings arranged long before, some walking nearly 100 miles to attend. What will happen in the coming week was the question on many lips. That evening, there were about 400 people crowded into the building, and I gave a welcome message, urging them to be ready for the Lord and telling what had happened on the previous Thursday. Then as I led in prayer, the Spirit came down in mighty power, sweeping through the congregation. My whole body trembled with the power. We then saw a marvelous sight. People literally filled and drunk with the Spirit. Never have we seen anything like this. The power and presence of the Lord were awful indeed. Elders and evangelists were swept to their feet, reeling around like drunken men, shouting, I am filled! I am filled! Then some of them turned to me and asked for forgiveness for having criticized me. As soon as I said I had forgiven them, they praised the Lord in mighty and loud praises. They went to one another or called out a name at the other end of the building, asking for forgiveness for some wrong done. Another called out the name of his wife, telling her he was filled with the Spirit and urging her not to hold out against the Lord. One evangelist made public confession that he had made wrong entries in his report book. There was unbounded joy in the meeting. One elder was clapping his hands and thighs in an ecstasy of joy, yet at the same time failing to stand upright and staggering like a man drunk, his knees refusing to function properly. Elder Leon became like a lion, marching up and down the aisle, praising the Lord with mighty shouts, then turning first to the men, then to the women, next to the schoolgirls and boys, urging them to turn to the Lord, saying that he was soon returning. Men, women, boys, and girls were overcome by the power of the Spirit. It was impossible to make out what people were saying. Some were praising, some were in an agony of soul, crying with copious tears rolling down their faces, unashamed. Others were dancing and jumping before the Lord through sheer joy, others shaking uncontrollably and shouting out, Praise the Lord! over and over again. Others were singing away on their own, quite unconscious of what the rest were doing. I felt led to clap my hands and start the hymn, Onward, Christian, Shul Christian Soldiers! Immediately, like one man, the whole congregation was on its feet, and was there ever singing like it? No, not even in my native Wales, except perhaps during the revival. On the singing went every line, every verse, with punctuated emphasis, people glancing at their neighbors with a smile, 
indicating their fullness of joy at the victory of Jesus. There was such a volume of praise that angels must have stopped their ministering to gaze down at the wonderful sight. The hymn was sung over and over again until hallelujahs ended a wonderful meeting, and we drifted out of the building about midnight. For many there was no sleep, but singing and praising and souls getting right with God all through the night. The next day, Sunday, we had our first test of fanaticism, with a young man dashing up early in the morning, very agitated and shouting out that he had a message from the Lord for the government official. But I was convinced that it was not the Holy Spirit, and challenged him. He accused me of hindering the Spirit, and dashed off to the government post, but the official was not there. I called the evangelists and elders together, and gave them from the word the danger of some people giving place to the devil, and urged them to instruct the people to obey those that are over them in the Lord and that watch for their souls. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We are thrilled at the way people respond to exhortation from the word, and so far we have been spared many such affairs. Another case was a man who for years had wanted to be some great one, but the elders had to rebuke him time and time again for low living. He came to me early one morning, saying that the Spirit had given him a message to visit me behind closed doors and lay his hands on me that I might receive the Spirit. Knowing the man, the Spirit led me to challenge him in the name of Jesus, that he had never received the Holy Spirit. He went away and has not bothered me nor the people any more. During that Sunday, the spiritual tempo of the meetings grew. It was difficult to deliver a message. We began to realize that the Lord was working in two different ways. At first, the people would say of one who was thrown to the ground or was under the influence of the Spirit that he was filled by the Spirit. But the realization came that this was not so. The mighty filling of the Holy Spirit of those who were ready to receive him was beautiful to behold, and their joy knew no bounds. But others, shaking under a terrible conviction of sin, were a different sight altogether. There were many who, after asking for forgiveness, had no joy, and we saw the danger of many believing that they had now got all, and there was nothing else, because they had had an experience of shaking. We showed them the possibility of a clean, garnished house being empty, and the danger of that man's latter state being worse than the first, if he did not claim the filling of the Holy Spirit as in Luke 11.13. I felt the need of asking that room be made in the meetings for teaching from the word. In accounts of the Lord's visitations in other places, it is often said that ministers do not carry on with the preaching and teaching, the meetings being given over to testimony, prayer, and singing. But I found that a continual bringing of the word to the people has meant that many have seen truths from the scriptures that went unnoticed before. The quoting of scripture by the people has also been an outstanding feature of all testimonies as well as utterances in prayer. One aspect of the Spirit's working well, the prompters. When a person is under the influence of the Spirit and in agony through terrible conviction, the Spirit comes on another person who will start prompting the convicted one with such sentences as, Bring it all out! Don't hide anything! Jesus is ready to forgive. Think back. There is still more to confess. The big sin still remains. It is amazing how the convicted ones respond to such promptings. Even when many are praying aloud at the same time, 
and the prompter is away at the back of the building. A young man called Tomasi was greatly used in this way, also an old gardener, both of whom are very ordinary people, yet the persons confessing responded in an amazing way to their promptings. You know, I, I wonder as you listen to this, what you're thinking. I recognize that when a group comes together and there's no freedom to sing and there's no freedom to pray, it is generally because there is unconfessed sin. And when we walk holding that unconfessed sin in our heart, we continue in the lust of our flesh or the lust of our eyes or boasting about what we have and and who we are. There's no freedom in Jesus. Yes. And what strikes me is if you've been at meetings, I mean, we've had several meetings where we have called people to come forward and make a public confession of sin. And it's like the last thing anybody wants to do. I had one woman really go off on me because she said, you can't expect people to confess their sins in front of everybody else. That's, you know, that's private between you and the Lord. You can confess your sins silently, you know, in your heart. But that doesn't lead to freedom and that doesn't lead to joy. No, freedom and joy are when we become transparent and we lay it all out and pride is put in the dust and we honestly confess this is what we've done. Now, we don't go back and resurrect old things that have been taken care of already with restitution and with repentance and forgiveness. It's the current, ongoing, day by day, where we've not really turned entirely to the Lord. And you can then become depressed, discouraged, feel that God is far from you, because there is no confession and the spirit of prayer cannot come upon you in that condition the spirit of prayer comes as we honestly admit who we are and where we stand I read in 1st Peter the first chapter verse 13 Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. I just wanted to say quickly about these stories as they really illustrate what we were saying at the beginning of the broadcast. You can imagine that after these people in the Congo had gone through these rather terrible convictions of sin and then confessed and made restitution and then come through to this explosive joy 
that they would have the intention to never sin again. So that's what we're describing, and this is a very good illustration of that in these stories. Well, we're out of time for this portion of the broadcast today. Uh, I'd like to hear from you. We're eager to know how you're responding. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you can send us an email, you can call us. We'd love to hear from you. I'm really eager to hear how you're responding to this message. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer on the air, you can send that to us. And if you'd like to, or if you are interested in this upper room, call me. Pastor Ray, 703-489-1785. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlay from the National Prayer Chapel. We love you. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you. Join us tomorrow at the same time, 1 to 2 p.m., and we'll talk more about the Congo Revival. God bless you. We love you. of His glory with great joy Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.